Good morning, it's LBC 97.3. I'm Duncan Barks. No Steve Allen this morning, so I'm here through until the morning news at half six. My number, 0845 We'll continue to take some of your calls on this, about the, uh, the amount of uninsured vehicles driving around. Because what I like about what we've talked about so far is many of you have just got great ideas as to whether or not this idea that's currently working in France, I think it's working, from some of the French callers uh, we had on earlier, um, this idea of kind of like having a, something akin to a tax disc that just shows that your vehicle is insured. Um, it's been discussed in the House of Lords, and the figure that's been bandied around is 1.2 million vehicles recorded as uninsured. They want to find cleverer ways of um, cracking down on uninsured vehicles. So, so the question we've been discussing is how do we do this? 0845 that is the number. And uh, if you have been in a smash that involved an uninsured vehicle, then um, let's get you on the air and find out how much hassle it is. 84850 is the text number. You can tweet at LBC973. So that conversation can go on. And a couple of... Um, couple of other things that are doing the rounds this morning. I was intrigued by this story uh, of um, an incident that took place in Solihull. There was a man who ripped off a Muslim woman's veil in a shopping centre because he thought she was, and I'm using uh, the words of his legal defence, not my words, just another illegal immigrant. He's been spared to jail. Uh, his name is Ian Brazier from uh, Shirley and Solihull. He was given a six-week sentence suspended for 18 months in order to complete a diversity awareness course by magistrates in the town. Uh, he admitted racially aggravated assault at an earlier hearing, and uh, it turned out that he ripped this veil from the face of a young Muslim woman, threw it on the floor in Solihull's Torchwood complex earlier this year. Uh, she was out shopping with her family, and uh, his brief, his legal person defending him, said his client was angry at the time of the incident because he had been smoking cannabis and the films he was planning to watch at the centre cinema were not showing. It's a, it's a pretty, um, pretty weak defence, isn't it? Let's be honest. And he went on to say he was angry that he couldn't see the films or the films he wanted to see weren't there. All these pent-up emotions were unfortunately released when he saw this lady and he ripped the veil from her face. My question to you this morning is this, and I know it's a little bit chunky and meaty, but do you think he should have gone to jail for this? 0845 84850 to text, tweet at LBC973. Now, I'm, uh, I'm, in, I'm on my first marriage at the moment. Uh, my first marriage to, uh, to Mrs. B. So I can't, I can't really talk knowledgeably about this, if I'm honest with you, but you might be able to help me. You know there's been this ongoing saga of uh, Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise. They're getting divorced, a little bit mucky. I know Steve has talked about this previously, involving Scientology. I'm a little bit wary about talking about Scientology in too much detail for the simple reason sometimes they can uh, get a little bit upset. Uh, you might have seen that TV documentary. I don't want to go head-to-head -head with a Scientologist. Anyway, so we'll draw a line when it comes to Scientology. But Katie Holmes and Tom Cruise getting split, and she's been photographed in New York without her wedding ring. This is after filing for divorce from Tom. And it does kind of beg this question. When is it appropriate to take off the ring? I mean, I, I'm sitting here in the LBC 97.3 studio this morning. And uh, on my, my, my left hand, I've got a ring. It's kind of like welded on. That's the sound of the ring. I can never imagine. 
I mean, it would be heartbreaking. It's like that final sign, isn't it? That it's all over. That the years that you spent together kind of are in the past. That there is no more marriage. So if you have been through the mill when it comes to divorce, when did you take off your, your wedding ring? Was it an easy thing to do? My mum, who's 71, you know, my mother... Uh, is, is a widow. My dad died about 30 years ago. And to this day, she still wears her wedding ring. Now, obviously, you know, she, she lost her husband in a different set of circumstances. We're not talking about divorce here. But she can't bear to take it off. One of those deeply held things. So if you have been through the mill, divorce-wise, when did you take off the wedding ring? And how important is a wedding ring? Because I think it's one of those interesting symbols. You see, I've got a lot of mates who refuse to have one. And after a few beers, after a few ales late at night, some of them will admit that they don't have one because they don't necessarily want anyone else to know that they're hitched. Which is a little bit grubby, which is a little bit dark in some ways. But they, 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 they like the fact that they're not wearing a wedding ring because it gives them a certain amount of freedom. Yet I talk to some female mates of mine, and um, they want their men to wear wedding rings. It's all about showing commitment. It's all about ownership. It's all about being in a partnership. 84850 to text. Tweet at LBC973. And when we talk about wedding rings, and we talk about when does it become acceptable to take the wedding ring off, I'm always amazed by people who... Um, say they have divorce parties because they've been in such a horrendous marriage you know for them the kind of the shackles are free and once the paperwork has come through they go out and have a big bender they go out and get bladdered so what do you do do you, do you end up flogging your wedding ring taking some jewelers get 200 quid back or do you always just end up taking it off your finger putting it in a drawer somewhere because that's your kind of memory of the the first marriage. 84850 to text. Tweet at LBC973. And my number, 08456060973. I'm curious about this. I mean, I don't have a great point of reference because um, I'm not divorced. I'm sure my time will come the way I'm living my life. But, I mean, I'm not divorced. I don't know anyone else who is divorced. But I'm curious to know this whole area of kind of, I suppose, this divorce etiquette in some ways. When's it acceptable to take the wedding ring off? And be honest with me, if you're listening to LBC 97.3 at the moment and you have been divorced, what did you do with your wedding ring? 08456060973. I mean, the whole area. I mean, you have all of these online dating sites for people who have been married once. You've got loads of stuff going on. I mean, the world of divorce, I mean, it's just intriguing, isn't it? I tell a lie, actually. I do know of someone who's recently got divorced. I know of them. I don't know them that well. And they're in this perverse situation where she is still going round to his parents' for, like, lunch on Sunday and a cup of tea, which I just find incredibly odd. I mean, I, the only thing I can think of, 
The only thing I would do, if I was ever in that situation, I'd just want to cut my ties and get on with it. I mean, take take children out of the equation, because I think it's a very different scenario. It's a very different story. If kids are involved, then there are certain things that you've got to do. You've got to grin and bear it for the sake of your kid or your kids. All right, But this particular woman I know doesn't have any children with this bloke she's just divorced. And yet she still goes round to see his mum for a cup of tea. They're like best mates. And occasionally on a Sunday goes round for lunch. Now, if I was that bloke, I'd be thinking, what the heck is going on here? It's just weird. What is the etiquette when it comes to being divorced? Maybe we should compile some kind of list this morning. Text me, 84850. Tweet at LBC973. And my number, 0845-6060-973. I'm intrigued. Because the divorce rate is increasing. So how do we make it work? What is the correct etiquette when it comes to divorce? So there's a load of stuff going on this morning. We've got the divorce etiquette thing running. Uh, we've also got this, this, this story in Solihull that I do think is strange about this man who's been spared jail for ripping the veil off a Muslim woman. I, I, I mean, this is not, it's got nothing to do with political correctness. It's about treating your, your, your fellow human being in a decent way. And he's been spared jail. Do you think that was the right decision? Do you think that's the, the right thing to do? 0845 on our ongoing conversation this morning about what we do to uh, crack down on uninsured vehicles. It's a Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen this morning here at LBC 97.3. For all of the Steve fans tuning in, I'm sorry he's not here. He's been taken unwell. So you've got me through until 6.30 this morning. And uh, we'll try and keep things bubbling along. A little bit of light and shade, nothing too taxing. Because God knows I'm not up for that at this time in the morning. 0845 I'd like I'd like to get some divorced men on the air. If you're a divorced bloke, come on the air and, and tell me, how do you move on? If you're a divorced lady, how do you kind of just draw that line? Do you ever draw a line and kind of move on to the next level? I mean, the killer, I should imagine is when another bloke enters your your ex-wife's life. Or, if you're a woman, your ex-fella starts saying he's seeing someone else. That must be the killer. That must be the thing that just drives a stake through the heart. And you hear these stories sometimes of people who um, just remain friends, which I suppose kind of shows an element of strength shows that you got married because there was a, a relationship that was formed there, a deep friendship. But really, can you ever truly remain friends? 0845 for your calls. 84850 to text. And, of course, you can tweet at LBC973. It's a Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen for one morning only, and it's LBC97.3. This is... Good morning. It's a shade after 16 minutes past four. It's LBC 97.3. Uh, Alex in Forest Gate, also Kevin the Milkman. Nothing to worry about. I'm only here for one morning only. And uh, Steve will be uh, back on the airwaves here at LBC 97.3. A uh, load of things going on. I've also got the newspapers here this morning. We'll thumb our way through the inside pages, uh, pluck out some of the more interesting stories uh, a little bit later on. But one of the things we have been talking about is what we do about these people who drive around uninsured. I think there are two, two 
main reasons for this, one of which is, and I don't know what we're going to do about them, uh, the word I use, uh, and I'm going to start using it a heck of a lot more, is scrotes. These are the people in society who've just got no respect for you and I. They, they can't be bothered to get car insurance. Why should they? Who's going to make them? And I don't know what we do about them. I've got no idea, because I think if you're in that mindset of no respect for law and uh, order then, uh, I mean, it's a whole can of worms. But we also do have people, I believe, and I think there's more of them, who are driving uninsured because they simply cannot afford car insurance. And it's becoming a big issue. And in the House of Lords, a number of peers yesterday were uh, debating this. And one of them suggested adopting the French way, which is kind of like a little permit on the windscreen, like a tax disc, to prove that you're fully insured. Would that work? 0845 is my number. Uh, Paul is in Croydon. Paul. Yeah, hi there. Hi. You're on the yeah. air, mate. What, what have you got to say? Well, I've been listening listen to that part of the conversation a little bit earlier on uh, this morning. Yeah. And uh, although a lot of people were sort of trying to nail the person who didn't have the insurance, yeah. I, think, I think the problem's uh, a little bit more systemic than that. Go on. I mean, we've had all these other scandals coming up to this, and I think this is sort of another big scandal waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Because the insurance companies are in a very privileged position in the sense that if you've got a car, you have to, by law, have insurance. Yeah. So there isn't a choice. Yet they're not regulated in terms of their pricing. Are, are they a member of... And there must be, isn't there? The um, a, Is it the ABI? The Association of British yeah, these Insurers? Associations of... I don't know too much about the insurance side. No. All I know is is that they increase the um, fees every year yeah. greater than inflation, yeah. and they're not accountable to any... They're just like the banks. They write their own ticket. Yeah, there's no accountability, is there? They just write what they like. Yeah. Now, as far as I'm aware... Insurance is a bit like the casino side of, of banking. It, it's like it's a based on probability of things happening. Yeah. And they take a you know an educated guess and they charge accordingly to make a profit, taking into account all the things that are likely to happen. Mm. That's my understanding of insurance. Yeah. Now, so for it to keep increasing, you know, people don't have more accidents. I don't think proportionately, you know, per thousand people, mm. you haven't, you know, gone up 60% in the previous year. Then, the, you know, like, the, I think the last one I asked why it went up, they said, oh, because a lot of uh, people haven't got insurance. Young yeah, but, but why insurance. should you and I have to pick up the tab for that? The, the reason we're picking up the tab is because, in a way, I know this might sound like a bit of a conspiracy, just like the bankers weren't regulated by the government, because the more money the bankers made, the more tax they could collect off them, etc., etc. Yeah. I think that's the same with the insurance. They make huge amounts of money, and the more money they make, the more tax that the, the government can collect off them. So they don't really want to regulate them and bring them down to 250 like they were in France, the lady said in France. Mm. You know... France has got probably less population than the UK. Yeah. It means they've got less cars there. How come their insurance is less? Well, she was saying, wasn't she, it worked out once we did the uh, the vague kind of... Um, um, we transferred it from euros into sterling. It was about 250 quid a year for her. I mean, you yeah, can only so dream of such a premium in this country. Right. And the reason it's probably 250 quid yeah. is that the French regulate, you know, the public, you know, the 
choice in it mm. to, you know, where the insurance companies can just make up the figure. Yeah. And they're probably all in, they're all similar to each other. So they're, you know, they must be all in, in cahoots. Do you think the time has come, Paul? I mean, we've got this ongoing debate, and we, we had uh, we know Bob Diamond was in front of the Treasury Select Committee yesterday, and they're going to vote yeah. later today about whether or not it needs to be a, a parliamentary inquiry, i.e. led by MPs or something more independent, led by a judge. And this is all to do with the practices in banking. Do you think the time has come, though, to have a similar inquiry into the world of car insurance? I think in the case of car insurance, as opposed to property insurance, or these other insurances where they, you don't have to have them. Yeah. Car insurance, you, you have to have it. Just like you have to have water to survive, the water companies are regulated. Mm. Their prices are regulated. It's a necessity. Yes. You have to, if you have a car, you have to have insurance. Yes. Therefore, you know, because the, the prices are really based on probability, how many people are having cars. It doesn't, all accidents are reported. It wouldn't take the government and their statisticians you know, too long to work out what sort of is a reasonable margin of a percentage of probability that you need to put on top. Yes. And it won't be 60%. No. It won't be 60% every year, would it? The thing is, though, what, what strikes me, and in some ways we put up with it of our banks, because a lot of us simply can't be bothered to change banks, can we? Because of the hassle involved with changing your standing orders and your direct right. debits, etc., etc. I think, and we had an earlier caller who was saying about car insurance, he doesn't understand why people moan about it being so high, because if you shop around, you can get a cheaper deal. thing is, we don't really challenge it, do we? I mean, you and I have spent a good few minutes having a go at the car insurance industry, yet right. we, we kind of put up with it year after year, don't we? Yeah. It's not a question of putting it up. You can hunt around, you'll find they're very similar prices wherever you go. It's yeah. a bit like the so-called competition in fuel that's supplied to your, your property. Mm. You know, one minute they come to you with a cheaper price and someone does a comparison, they say, oh, so-and-so is doing it cheaper. You go there, next month the other ones come down. Yeah. It's obvious they've got to come down. They're in the same marketplace. How can they be significantly different? Mm. They're only different if you know, if they're out of sequence in terms of when they're doing their marketing. Yes. But they're all much of a muchness. Yeah. You know, the true competition are people like Ryanair and EasyJet. They, they're fighting tooth and nail. Prices stay down. That's but true. when they weren't in the business, yeah. prices used to be sky high because they, mm. it was more or less a monopoly. I, I believe no one the, ever actually um, admitted it was. I believe the, uh, the, the word is cartel. Cartel. Yes. That's the word. Get a, get a cartel going, which, of course, is uh, there's supposed to be various bodies in place to crack down on such practices, but yeah. uh, getting a cartel going is, is literally a license to print money. Listen, Paul, I've enjoyed the conversation. Thank you, Paul in Croydon on LBC 97.3. Uh, you can probably hear me flicking through some of the papers. I will look at the inside pages of many of this morning's papers here at LBC 97.3 shortly. If you put the radio on wondering where Steve Allen is, uh, he's not here this morning. It should be back tomorrow morning here at LBC 97.3. Uh, so I'm Duncan Barks, and I'm here through until half six. Morning news on the air from half six this morning. And then uh, Nick Ferrari. I had in the back of my mind that Nick Ferrari wasn't particularly good at heights. Where did I pick that up from? Well, I hope he's all right, because he's going to be broadcasting live from uh, the Shard from seven this morning. Uh, the tallest building in Western Europe uh, to mark the inauguration of the Shard, uh, a laser show. 
uh, later on this evening. That's going to look amazing. Uh, there'll be a symbolic handing over of the building to London skyline. So Nick on the air from seven this morning. Uh, he has the uh, pleasure of talking to Lord Prescott about the decision to go ahead with the skyscraper. Uh, also talking to uh, former Mayor of London, Ken Livingston, about what it will mean to Londoners, the Shard, and the man behind the project, property tycoon Irvine Seller. That's Nick here from seven this morning at LBC 97.3. I came across a really interesting um, article in one of the papers a couple of weeks ago about the Shard, because it was um, while it was slowly being constructed, it was developing this kind of cult status. There's, I'm sure there's a website. Someone will find it. Can we have a look? Someone have a look next door. There's a website dedicated. Or was it on Twitter? It's one or the other, dedicated to, like, the slow construction of the Shard. And people were taking pictures of it from various different points in London. And uh, people became slightly obsessed. It's like people who get obsessed with, like, the disused underground stations in London. You know, these kind of, it becomes this cult thing that slowly gets built up. We'll have a look. See if we can find the website. But from 7 this morning, Nick Ferrari on the air here at LBC 97.3, live from the Shard. I'm Duncan Barks. My number, 0845 uh, I want to try and build up a, a kind of, uh, I suppose, a list, really, uh, when we talk about divorce etiquette. Because Katie Holmes, who's just got split from Tom Cruise, has been spotted in New York without her wedding ring. So at what point should you take your ring off? And, I mean, can you really remain friends after you split up from your husband or wife? Uh, to Kingston and Sharif. Sharif, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Okay, uh, first things I want to mention that the person who takes the, the veil of the of the Muslim woman, yeah. he should really, he shouldn't go to jail, but he should go for education why these Muslim people wear the veil. Yes, well, I they think he is. Wear, I think he's going on a like, diversity awareness course. It's, 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 this woman's wearing this long dresses to, to cover the body from the man. Yeah. Don't let the man look at them. Yeah. But anyway... That's, that's only my well, point. I, I think point. that area is going to be dealt with, because as I said, he's going on this course. But, I mean, you, you tell me you've been divorced. Yeah, I've been divorced, yeah. I've been divorced for now three years. I've been married for seven years. Hmm. And it, was, uh, it, wasn't very, it wasn't very hard at all to take the, my, wedding, my wedding ring off when she told me, OK, I think we had enough now. I said, OK, that's enough. I thought, what the Anna did take the, the ring off. Mm. But it hit me after, after years, after a year, when I see her again, and, and her parents, because I, I used to go have a tea with her mom and dad, and uh, like every weekend, say hello and all that stuff. But I don't do it now, because it, it, does, it does hurt very very hard so so <laughs> you, you tried you tried to continue if you like as as life was as uh, as normal seeing the relatives and things but you just couldn't do it no i couldn't do it no and then tell me about your um your your i'm guessing you did you wear a, a wedding ring i did yeah uh, at what point when when the um the marriage finished sharif did you take it off uh if what do you mean like uh well, you see, there's this whole debate about when it's the right time to get to take the, the wedding ring off. Some people kind of, like, keep it on because that's that last symbol. They want to hold on to something. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, I did put it in my necklace. <laughs> All right, so, right. Uh, you see, that's interesting. And you, you're a good man to come on the air and admit that. So you took the ring off your finger and put it on a yeah. chain around your neck. Yeah, I did put it in my, in my neck. And we did. I didn't see her after the force when she told me, like, okay... 
that's enough and we I think we we should go different uh, different directions. So okay, fine then. So I take the ring and I put it through the kitchen and next day in the morning I find the ring in the same in the same position. So I take the ring, pick my stuff up, I left the home for her and pick pick my car and she never saw me after after one year. <laughs> I'll tell you what, you're a, better, you're a better man than I am, Sharif. That's all I have to say. Sharif in Kingston, many thanks for coming on the air. Mm, see, that's intriguing, isn't it? The ring comes off the finger, but it still goes on a chain that he wears around his neck. I wonder if you can ever let go. 0845 is the number. 84850 to text. And you can tweet at LBC973. It's Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen. A lot of people texting in. Uh, Bill in Watford. Uh, we also have Sean. Uh, we also have uh, June in Poplar. Lisa in Coventry. Nothing to worry about. Normal service will be resumed tomorrow morning here at LBC 97.3, where it's half past four. LBC 97.3. This is London's biggest conversation with Duncan Barks. Thursday morning, thank you for tuning in. Just turned half past four to LBC 97.3. I'm Duncan in for Steve. You may have heard me uh, leafing my way through some of the tabloids this morning. And I mentioned this earlier, uh, a number of the newspapers, and, and rightly so, um, talking about the uh, the death of Eric Sykes, uh, which was announced yesterday, 1923 to 2012, uh, the, the lifetime of Eric Sykes. And, you know, I think increasingly we live in a world where we, we, we kind of use words too easily. I'll give you an example. I think the word legend is bandied around too much. You know, increasingly we call people legends, and actually they've not achieved a great deal in their life. Um, we also use the word genius a lot, I think. You know, someone is a genius. I, I think the more times it's used, it kind of loses value in some ways. But I think the word genius certainly applies to Eric Sykes, uh, the modest genius who made us cry with laughter, says the Daily Mirror, and uh, a number of uh, papers doing really big tributes to him. And I mean, kind of in, in many ways, it's that, that, that innocence of comedy, if that makes sense. When I say the innocence of comedy, because of people like Sykes, and I mean, there's a, a lot of pictures this morning in the newspapers of him with people like Hattie Jakes and uh, various other comedians as well. And, uh, I mean, he was involved in the Goon Show as well. And, I mean, uh, you know, it's that innocence of comedy. Uh, there, was, there was no real offence calls. There was no smut involved in it. No one was really offended. It was that kind of good, honest comedy. And, I mean, Eric Sykes, a lot of people saying it's just a comic genius. And, I mean, there's a piece in the mail today, and he would just knock out these great scripts. And uh, someone actually asked him, how do you do it? He just says, just lock me in a room with a scotch and a typewriter. But the sad thing was, is towards the end, and there was a lot of stuff on this on the TV last night that made fascinating viewing. I mean, he started losing, you know, kind of like his hearing and his sight wasn't too good and stuff. But he still continued to be um, incredibly funny. But a kind of comedy that was just was remotely, it just wasn't remotely offensive. It was just good, honest comedy. So I think in many ways, it's kind of like someone else who was a great exponent of what I call just good, honest laughter. No smart, no offence. No picking on someone because of their skin colour, size, height, or whatever. It was just kind of like borderline slapstick. And there was certainly, I think it was, um, was it The Plank? Was it a film or a TV series that, that he was involved in? That was just, it was like slapstick. And he did some stuff with Tommy Cooper as well. And it was all just visual. And, you know, I mean, there are very few comedians around today who could actually achieve that kind of stuff. So let's talk a little bit about Eric Sykes.
What do you remember him in? Maybe you met him. 0845 6060973 is my number. You can text 84850. Tweet at LBC973. When we talk about comedy, I mean, I certainly think we've, we've got this massive gap now between what we used to have. And when I say what we used to have, you know, your Tony Hancocks, your Eric Sykeses, your Morecambe and Wises, your Tommy Coopers, you know, really kind of like honest stuff, clever stuff, honest stuff, but not remotely offensive. And then we seem to go through that kind of era of the 70s. And I suppose maybe, I don't know, Jim Davidson, that kind of thing, where, you know, it's just kind of like, all right, some of it was vaguely amusing, but a lot of it was just spiteful stuff. And then you went through the 80s, and you had these kind of right-on comedians who spent most of their time having a go at Mrs. Thatcher. And that kind of thing. And, I mean, comedy has gone full circle in many ways, because there are people like Michael McIntyre, who are now still these kind of, like, exponents of good, honest comedy. You know, they don't go on, on stage and, and swear a great deal or uh, have any kind of political diatribe. They're just telling good, honest gags. So let's talk about comedy this morning. Who makes you laugh and why? And let's compile a decent list of good, honest British comedians. And we'll put Eric Sykes at the top. 84850 is the text number. And you can tweet at LBC973. And uh, maybe you've got some memories of Eric Sykes. 0845 is uh, is the number here at LBC. 97.3. Many memories of Sykes as well. It was something from 1961. Famous skit in which Eric got his toes stuck in a bath tap. If you fancy some uh, early morning humorous relief, have a listen to this. Can you get Mr. Brown? Oh, not again! Yes, my toe. <laughs> I don't like to ask him. Are you sure your toe's stuck in the tap? Yeah, of course I'm sure it's stuck in the tap. I'm sitting here facing it. <laughs> and it's right there. Oh, look, I think all the water's getting cold. Oh, what's about happy? It's stuck up the hot water tap. <laughs> oh, I'm asking to bring a spider hat. <laughs> Who is it? Who is it? Oh, uh, come in. Really, Sykes, this is a ridiculous situation to be in. Why do you have to put your toe in the tap in the first place? Well, it drips, you see. <laughs> My taps do not drip. I had new washers fixed last week. Well, your washers drip, then. Well, now. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I've never been as bad as this before. <laughs> I can't budge it at all. <laughs> I shall never be able to dance again. You'll make a drama of it, Sykes. Now, when I hit, you pull. Ready? <laughs> Can't you move it at all? Do you think I like sitting here while you funk it about with a spanner? I'm going to try to be helpful, Sykes. After all, it is my bath, and do you think I like hitting my tap? <laughs> Mr. Brown, I'm sorry. Look, why don't you try a gentle little... Wait a minute, no. Try and flush it out. Yes, that's quite a good idea. Right there. Sykes, <laughs> oh. you knew that was going to happen. Get Oh, I don't get the plumber. Oh, he lives across the road. 
Hurry up before he breaks my toe. Mary Sykes, this is too much. Here you are, a guest in my bath, and all you do is to take advantage of it. As I told you last week, taps are for water, not for toe receptacles. <laughs> I can't understand it. It's the same tap. Well, you must have put on weight, then. I haven't. I've lost a couple of pounds. Well, you put weight on your toe, then. I've not in the habit of weighing my toes. <laughs> Sykes, I don't like your attitude. Well, it's silly, isn't it? Blame you, it's not a toe that can't speak. That's as may be. Because you never have shoved it up in the first place. Now, because of your insatiable curiosity, I shall have to screw the whole thing off. Well, look at it! Oh, it's all right, yes. Remember that, darling? Something's giving. Something's giving. Look at that, Sykes. Brand new spanner. This is going to cost you a packet. Well, you better lie there until the plumber comes, and I hope the water's cold. It's freezing. Have to be an Arctic patrol. <laughs> and now, Bear Island. <laughs> A little blast of uh, Eric Sykes from 1961 and many of the papers this morning paying tribute to uh, to Eric Sykes uh, and many people, Sir Bruce Forsyth, he was one of the funniest men ever in comedy. He was also very lovely and gentle. Uh, Stephen Fry, an adorable, brilliant, modest, hilarious and irreplaceable comic master and uh, comic Ken Dodd. He was a joy to be with, a wonderful man to know, a genius. So when it comes to comedy, what, what, what makes you laugh? I mean, I really struggle to answer this. I went through a phase of really enjoying Billy Comedy, Billy Comedy, Billy Connolly, and uh, also Jasper Carrot as well. I used to love Jasper Carrot because that was pretty inoffensive. And he would only swear occasionally for maximum impact. But most of the time, you know, it was, it was pretty inoffensive stuff, but, but clever stuff. So who makes you laugh and why? 84850 to text. Tweet at LBC973. I mean, nowadays, you, you look around, you've got, you got Jimmy Carr, the tax dodger. He has since apologised. And you've got Frankie Boyle. I mean, Frankie Boyle is delicious from the point of view that he is so offensive sometimes. You, you've got to, like, like, take your hat off to him for, for saying what many of us think. I mean, there's quite an art in that. And it takes quite a lot of pluck and courage to do that. Sometimes I think he crosses the line, but it can be refreshing at times. But it's not, I mean, it's, it's just sometimes outright offensive. So when it comes to comedy... Who makes you laugh and why? And who are the great British comedians? Listening to that Eric Sykes sketch, there was that, I forget who he is. You might be able to help me. I'm sure he was, he's still alive. I don't mean that to be disrespectful, but he was that kind of same generation. Um, he's done a few one-man shows. I forget his name. Uh, I, can, I can picture him. If it helps, he kind of has white hair, thick-rimmed glasses, and he used to smoke a lot of cigars. He's a British guy used to write a lot of comedy. What's his name? What's his name? You see him in all those tribute shows when they talk about other comedians. He, he always crops up. I have a vision of him now. Uh, relatively tall guy, golfing sweater, big, fat, black, kind of like rim spectacles, white hair, great white hair. And I have a vision of him puffing on a cigar. Not, not, um, oh, not George Burns, the American guy. Who is he? Someone will know. I'm sure you know who I'm talking about. Sure. Last name begins with C. Camber? Fryer? I don't know. 0845 6060973 is my number. 
84850 to text. Tweet at LBC973. I don't know who he is. He's of the same vintage as Eric Sykes. And he wrote a lot of scripts. Wasn't really kind of, a, a, you know, an on-stage performer. I know he's done stuff. But not kind of like on stage in front of a microphone. He's done odd bits and pieces. Oh, who is this bloke? It's going to annoy me. I can picture him now. It's one of those frustrating things. You can see the picture, but you just can't find the words. Someone will tell me. 0845 8485 to text. Tweet at LBC973. Uh, the sad loss of uh, Eric Sykes. And a lot of people just saying that he was just such a modest bloke as well. A lovable star. And Jim Shelley in the mirror saying that he's uh, so underrated. And, you know, sometimes this is a problem, isn't it? We don't really appreciate talent until, uh, sadly, it's, um, it's gone. Jim Shelley, lovely piece in the, uh, in the mirror. Everybody loved Eric Sykes. This is what he will be remembered for, as well as being one of the most brilliant talents of British comedy. His success spanned decades, but in a way, he was probably the most underrated comedian we've ever had, says Jim. This was partly because he was one of the legends of British radio with a relaxed way of telling a story that was always affable and amusing. But he was also, at his very best, writing for more fated greats such as Tony Hancock, Frankie Howard... Peter Sellers, and crucially, The Goons. I went to something over the weekend, um, and um, I bumped into a lady who turned out to be Harry Seacombe's daughter. Some great stories, including having scrambled eggs at the, uh, the Barclay Hotel with Princess Margaret. Best leave it there. Uh, Diana's in Surbiton. Diana, good morning. Morning to you. It's Barry Cryer. <sighs> That's the fella. He, yeah. he, he always used to chomp on a cigar, didn't he? Yeah. Now, now I, I think Barry Cryer is, is kind of in the same category in some ways as Eric Sykes because he was, you know, yes, he wrote yes. for many people, didn't he? Very dry and, ve- and very clever. Yeah. Very humorous. Yes, very much so. And, and one of the and things. comical. He was comical. It's all about the timing, isn't it? Yes, yeah. All I think he was a good timing. one. Oh, I, I see him personally two or three times and you'd laugh at him. He wouldn't do anything on the stage and that's. He needn't do anything. He made you laugh. Tommy Cooper. Oh, oh that's absolutely great. hilarious. Do you know, there are, there are websites available on the internet that literally just list all of the uh, the Tommy Cooper kind of like uh, one-liners, you know, these, these gags that he used to roll out. Oh. One of my favourite ones, what was it? It was like, um, I got back to my car one day and there was a note under the windscreen wiper saying, parking fine. I said, thanks very much. Great stuff. Did you say you'd met Barry Cryer? No, no, I haven't met oh, him. Oh, you've seen no. him? I, I see um, Tommy Cooper personally on stage two or three times. Where did you see Tommy Cooper? I think I think it was at, um, when we was at, when we was away on holiday, like Bournemouth, place like that. Yeah. But but he was actually a fantastic um, magician. He was. But he found he'd done things wrong, and people laughed even more at that, and that's why. He's do you know, I, I remember as a, a small lad watching that, that um, ill-fated TV appearance. Do you remember when he was on stage yeah, and, yeah. and sort of like uh, the curtain went down and his, his, his legs were still sticking out from under the curtain? I know, and I know. We I all know. thought it was part of the act, <laughs> didn't we? Don't make me laugh. I still laugh at him now. He's so, he's so comical. You see, today you've got the comedians. I know they try very well, but they're not, they're not comical. Mm. I like people who are comical, witty, 
I think a lot of it. I mean, but people like um, Tommy Cooper, there were these great, clever, very clean one-liners. But I think a lot of the great comedy is, is very observational, isn't it? It's about yes, stuff that yes, you and I see, and they make light out of that. Yes, and the timing, isn't it, as well? Definitely the timing. Yes. Who was that little fella with? Uh, wasn't he with a woman? You know, she she knows, you know. Oh, I don't know. That, that one. She knows. He, 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 he was Dick Henry. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. he was another comical one. He's good. Very, very comical. See, you see, you've got Bruce Forsyth. He is very comical, isn't he? Do you know someone that I remember seeing on TV? You know the TV programme, Have I Got News For You? Yes. OK. They they did one, and sadly he's no longer with us, but Bob Monkhouse. Oh! And he oh. he blew all of these other comedians oh. out of the water. Oh. He knocked them for six. He was oh. so sharp, so quick. I mean, just in a different league. Left, oh! Left them, left them in the dust. I know, because he was clever. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. That's what he has, uh, to, to do with it, and because he was Dennis Goodwin, wasn't he? Yeah. Those two together, and because and Dennis Goodwin was a script writer, and because he wrote most of his scripts, but um, it's cleverness as well. Yeah. See, you haven't got anybody what's, what's sort of very, very clever and witty, and oh, and because Eric Sykes was gone, he was not, he was another comical one. He was, he was, and I, I don't comical. think I don't think we'll see we'll see talent like that again in that form. Uh, Diana, thank you to uh, thank you to you for coming to my aid this morning. Barry Cryer, and thank you to so many people. I'm just looking at my uh, my screen in front of me. Um, you randomly, you haven't been putting your names at the end of the text, but I've just got I've got text after text after text after text this morning, simply saying Barry Cryer. Uh, let me just have a look at some of the names to say thank you. Uh, Dan in Chelmsford, Howard in Twickenham, uh, Karen, John. Dobbin, uh, Jonathan Two Bridges, so many people. Thank you very much indeed uh, for telling me it was Barry Cryer. It's uh, LBC 97.3, is my number. Uh, I would like you to tell me about the great British comedians. Maybe you're a fan of a particular talent. Let's, um, let's, uh, let's give them a mention. 84850 to text, tweet at LBC 973. London's biggest conversation. Good morning, it's ten minutes to five. It's Duncan in for Steve for one morning only. Here's one from a David and Carl Scholten. Duncan, did you see Jasper Carrot programme called Detectives? It had Barry Cryer in the episode. He was hilarious. No, I didn't see that. Can you get that on DVD? Is that available on DVD, The Detectives? Everything else seems to be available on DVD. 0845 I mean, We had Diana in Surbiton a few moments ago who has seen Tommy Cooper live a few times. And I'm very keen, I mean, given this sad news of the death of uh, Eric Sykes, I just want to talk about British comedy a little bit. If you've seen, you know, one of these great British comedy performers, maybe you, you, you've seen Eric Sykes, maybe you met him at some point, but maybe, you know, you, you, you've seen your Jasper Carrots. I think he's a great British comedy talent. Uh, maybe you've seen Tommy Cooper. Let's get you on the air. 0845 is my number. Uh, more stories from the inside pages of this morning's newspapers coming up. Ray is in North Enfield. Ray, good morning. Hello, mate. Hi. All right. I'll just, I'll just think the brilliant thing, I think, which is really good, which I thought you couldn't, you couldn't get anyone else to do it, and that was in the plank. Oh, yeah. 
Eric Sites. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw a clip Tommy of it last Cooper. night. Yeah. I mean, that, that there t- is so many people who, who is in there. Yeah. I think it's just absolutely brilliant. Tell me about what you remember about the plank, Ray. <laughs> well, actually, it's just the plank. <laughs> Yeah, well, because I mean, it just went everywhere, it swung everywhere. Well, it did, but there, everyone... mu- there must be a scene that you remember clearly. It, uh, to tell the truth, it's t- Tommy Cooper the way that sometimes he just kept just turning that plank around. I, th- I just think he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. I remember uh, the clip I saw last night was uh, Eric Sykes, and he was uh, he was sitting there having a cup of tea, and he was wearing a flat cap. And the plank—I mean, uh, I mean, there'll be people tuning into this, thinking, "Why are you talking about a piece of wood?" Well, it's true. This plank went everywhere, didn't it? And what it happened? Did. He was sitting there. He was having a he was having a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and uh, the plank kind of swung behind him, and he ducked. So and every pl- time, yeah, he ducked. Yeah, yeah. It went <laughs> over his head, and then he came back up to have his cup of tea, and it smacked him back in the face. And it's something so so slapstick in fact so silly but you can't help but giggle and also no one said a word in it yeah that's a genius obviously isn't it i mean that, that's I mean, it no yeah. one said a word no one said anything back to anyone or anything it just ooh, 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 and that's all you got yeah no one said a word in it that's what i think it made it so brilliant but there again i've got my boy here well he isn't here but what i'm saying i asked my boy to um see if he can find it on a computer and he went well what's that all about the plank <laughs> Youngsters, they just don't want to know these yeah. days what about a good comedy thing is. Do, do you think we've seen we've seen the last of what I call this 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 innocent comedy? Oh, they're all going, aren't they? Yeah. I mean, obviously, everyone gets older. I'm getting older. You're getting older. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one seems to know all these old old things that 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 makes you really laugh. A proper comedy, not as, as you said earlier on, going on stage with. Other people, they say things, and they don't realise it, it, it's not the same slapstick comedy as what it was in those days. Yeah. Like the goons. I mean, I don't actually remember the goons. I'm not. I'm, I'm not that old when the, when the goons and all that started. But I've heard on the radio uh, their their sketches. I mean, it's all you don't see them, you hear them. And I think it's a good laugh. I, I think that is a mark of true comedy, isn't it? I mean, if you yeah. look at some of the it's old a, radio yeah. shows, that you actually you don't need to see anyone. It's theatre of the mind, isn't it? And you can actually end up just laughing at a at a sound that's coming out of a box. Exactly. It's, it's listening to what they're saying and making it a good a good uh, good comedy to listen to. And 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 the, and, and the same thing there. It's not like these days. They're always swearing on the stage. They didn't then. And I think that's what made it good. Is there anyone knocking around nowadays, Ray, that you rate when it comes to comedy? Uh, say the truth, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I, yeah. I, I can't actually think of anyone who, who I can say I can sit, sit there and watch. Yeah, it's pr- pretty damning stuff. I, I think. I think you know who, who are the comedy, uh, the comedians of now who really rate. Anyone you want to suggest? 84850 is the uh, text number. Because a lot of today's comedians are like rock stars, aren't they? You know, they sell out stadiums and DVDs and stuff. And, you know, you look at Jimmy Carr and the amount of money he's been stashing away. You know, there's money in comedy. But who are the uh, the decent comedians of now? 0845 I'm Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen for one morning only. Jean is in Morden. Jean, good morning. Good morning, Duncan. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Well, I'm all right, thank you. But uh, more more importantly, tell me about 
comedians of yesterday. Who do you rate? Um, I rated very highly John Pertwee. Oh yeah. Now he he wrote a, he wrote co-wrote with his brother Bill Pertwee, um, a show called The Navy Lark. Yeah. Years years ago, and it, it, there was also um, he ended up. I think he was the second Doctor Who. Ah, and now. he was also Wurzel Gummidge. Now, let, let me stop you there. I can tell you, as a young boy, he was obsessed with Doctor Who the first time round. Not anymore, because I, I don't like the new stuff. But he was yes, the third he, one. He went, he went William Hartnell, Patrick yeah. Troughton, then John Pertwee. And he, he also was Wurzel Gummidge. Yeah. And he wrote scripts for nearly all of them. And as for, as for lovely Eric, I met him in a corridor in the BBC when we were going up for, um, my cousin was a cameraman, he used to get us tickets for the shows. Yeah. So I met all the goons, the whole lot of them, and got all their autographs, and that they were just hilarious. Oh, I, be- I bet it was. I bet it was amazing. Tell me tell me what the goons were like, because, I mean, I've heard mixed reports. and um, I, Well, I was lucky, lucky enough to sit in, well, when I say lucky... When Spike Milligan did his horse, they did four coconut shells, you know, to make the horse sound. They did all the effects on on stage because it was radio, obviously. And uh, it it was just, you just fell about laughing. But I was allowed to go in and and meet them all afterwards. And with Michael Benteen, he had a shock of hair that was, it was more like a big afro. And they all signed my autograph book. Harry Seacombe was a darling. And Peter Sellers, well, you, you just cracked joke after joke. You couldn't stop, you couldn't stop him. What was, got, um, what was Spike like, Jean? Because you hear mixed reports about Spike. Because uh, he wasn't a happy man at some point, was he? Spike, um, Spike was, sometimes he was, he was, he was always funny. Yeah. But sometimes... He got into a very deep depression. Yeah. He was a very depressed man at times. But he got himself out of it. And, you know, he played whatever he had to play. He didn't... He tore up the script. He wouldn't use the script. He, he did it, you know, off his head. Well, he, oh, literally off his head. But he, he was absolutely brilliant. He really was. And... Like I say, I, I met them all. I, I, I was, I was very lucky, and I got all the, I got all the goons autographs and and everything, which I've still got, and I should never ever forget them because I, I think I was only about fourteen, and that they all give, all give you a cuddle, but there was no nastiness or smuttiness with it. They, they always, you know, they embraced comedy. Mm. There was no. Because my mother used to say, you're not going into any swearing. No, well, and this is the point we were making earlier. It was all good, clean, honest comedy, wasn't it, as opposed to what's happening today. Gene and Morden, thank you. And it's interesting what you say about the uh, dark side of Spike Milligan, because there is a trait there, isn't there, with some comedians. We, we knew about it with Tony Hancock as well. You know, they can be... Um, they can be some of the happiest people on the planet, on stage and in front of a camera, but behind closed doors, 
it's a different story. 0845 6060973 is my number. It's Thursday morning. It's LBC 97.3. I'm Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen for one morning only. And the very latest news moments away, courtesy of Sam Pittis here at LBC 97.3. few minutes after five o'clock Thursday morning here at LBC 97.3. I'm Duncan in for Steve. I, I know it's probably confusing. And in fact, a lot of you are texting in going, well, what the heck's going on? Is it the weekend? No, it's not the weekend. And uh, your clock's not broken. Uh, Steve is uh, not here this morning, so I'm here through until 6.30. And uh, normal service will be resumed tomorrow morning here at LBC 97.3. I've got the newspapers here. We'll keep you updated on the travel situation. Early doors here at LBC 97.3. First update in around ten minutes time and uh, I believe normally around this time when I'm driving away from the LBC studios we do the weather don't we do the weather in around ten minutes time we look at the forecast have a look at the weather a little bit later on so stuff going on this morning many of the newspapers uh, tributes to uh, Eric Sykes and uh, I'm asking you about comedy British comedy who do you rate now in 2012 who's good and have we seen, the, there I say, it, the last of the, um, the kind of innocence of British comedy? Because, you know, people like Hancock and people like the Goons and people like Eric Sykes and people like Barry Cryer. Thank you to all of you who were texting in earlier, Barry Cryer. You know, it was, just, it was just good, honest, clean comedy, genius comedy, slapstick comedy. I mean, Tommy Cooper. I'm sure, I'm sure, well, I know this for a fact, there are websites dedicated to uh, Tommy Cooper one-liners. I'm going to get one of my vast members of uh, staff this morning here at LBC 97.3. That made you all look up. Go and have a look on the interweb and go and find the Tommy Cooper websites that have all of his one-liners because uh, they're definitely worth a look at. So we're talking about British comedy this morning and uh, if there's someone you particularly rate now in 2012 08456060973 and if you met any of the great comedians of the past some of the ones i've just mentioned let's get you on the air 08456060973 for your calls 84850 that's how you text us and you uh, tweet at lbc973 and uh, we're talking about divorce this morning because of course a big showbiz story that's been absolutely everywhere is this uh, ongoing saga about tom cruise the little bloke and uh, katie holmes they've got divorced and she's been uh, photographed in new york not wearing her wedding ring so at what point do you take it off you know when you uh, when you decide to split up from someone the divorce comes through do you bin the wedding ring? Did you sell yours? Do you put it in a drawer? Keep it safe? Had a caller earlier, got divorced, still has his wedding ring, doesn't wear it on his finger, but has it on a chain around his neck. And how do you move on? What is, what is, what is good? What can you get away with when it comes to divorce etiquette? You still knock around with the in-laws? 84850 to text, tweet at LBC973. So talking about that, we've got the uh, comedy stuff going on, and there's a great piece in today's mail. I'll tell you what, if you're a car lover, we all like motors, don't we? I mean, I was saying earlier, I drive around in a 10-year-old car for the simple reason I do a lot of mileage, it's an automatic, it's uh, comfortable, I don't have to think about driving it too much, and uh, I'll probably get a ticket in just over 90 minutes' time. Um, cars. We like our motors, and there's a story in the mail today about the most magnificent Rolls-Royce ever built. Ivory and silver fittings, silk door panels, and a China tea service. That's class. 
five million pounds salute to opulence and breathtaking British craftsmanship. And there's this great piece about this uh, this uh, roller in the Times. And uh, it manages just six miles to the gallon, has a top speed of only 60 miles per hour. It's a 100-year-old Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost, and it's zoomed into the world record books, selling at auction for almost five million quid. So when we talk about motors, and there, there is increasingly this, this, I suppose, this interest in classic cars, if not only, and we were talking about this earlier when I was on air doing my proper show, about the, the high uh, cost of car insurance premiums these days. Some people go for classic cars because uh, you get the classic car insurance, which is peanuts compared to the premiums of now. I mean, you are talking literally uh, 100 quid or so, not a great deal more. So there is a strong argument behind a classic car. And I think there's something quite stylish about driving around, not, not in a, uh, a roller, that's 100 years old and costs £5 million. That goes without saying. That is obviously stylish. But if you drive around in a classic car, maybe a slightly kind of like, maybe a 20-year-old Merc or uh, an old Beamer, there's something quite stylish about that, a bit kind of, um, a bit raffish. You know what I mean? So when it comes to classic cars versus new cars, what wins and why? Oh eight four five six oh six oh nine seven three. I suppose I'm being a little bit nosy here this morning. I'm asking you, what have you got? I want to get some people on the air. I want you to tell me about your classic car. Have you got something a bit old? And I say a bit old. What what should we say? Twenty years old. Twenty years old. I think is fair. Twenty years old plus. It's a classic car. I would have thought. What have you got? Eight four eight five zero to text. Tweet at lbc nine seven three. So that's going on, and there's this horrible story around this morning uh, about some of the things that people have done to animals. And you know they say that we're a nation of animal lovers. Well, after I've told you some of the stuff in front of me, you will beg to differ. A cat put in a tumble dryer and filmed for the internet. A dog abandoned after falling onto a motorway at 80 miles per hour. All of these things are genuine cases. Police are currently hunting the owner of Princess the Cat after he stuck her into the tumble dryer three times. And guess what he did? He posted the footage onto YouTube. There was also a three-year-old lurcher called Hattie, lucky to be alive, because Hattie was thrown onto the M56. Despite suffering a broken pelvis, she managed to dodge dozens of commuters to make her way to the hard shoulder. Passing drivers stopped and tended to her, waiting two hours before the RSPCA and the Highways Agency turned up so you hear about these cases and you think well are we genuinely a nation of animal lovers and what kind of penalty needs to be put in place because if you actually think back to the last couple of years we've had various cases including that mad woman worked for a bank i'm sure the two aren't connected uh, where she put a cat in a bin do you remember what was her name uh mary bale i think it was mary bale put a cat in a wheelie bin and of course she was filmed and there was national outrage, and she ended up leaving the bank. I don't know what she's doing now. But when you hear about these cases of people ill-treating animals, it kind of rather harpoons this idea that we're a nation of animal lovers. So what's a suitable punishment? 0845 is my number. 84850 for your text. Tweet at LBC973. It's a Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen for one morning only. And Robert's in Edgware. Rob, good morning. 
Well, hello, Duncan. May I congratulate you on making my withdrawal symptoms from Steve Allen so painless? Well, you're a very kind man. <laughs> I'd like to talk or explore two things. One, wedding rings and friendship. Yeah. And the other, uh, being overweight. On the wedding ring, um, can, can I just ask you a question before I give you my view? Hmm. Is that okay with you? Yeah, fire away. Right. Do you agree that people can be very good friends and yet, yet find it impossible to live together? Totally. You agree? Yes. Okay. Well, if you agree, then on that premise, why, why is it your view that people who divorce should, uh, should cut, as symbolised by throwing the wedding ring away or dealing with it? Well, it's not necessarily my view. I, I just look at it and I think if I was in that situation, I'm, I might find it too painful to carry on seeing that person, particularly if they had initiated the split. Does that well, make when, sense? When a caller rang in to say they were still having tea with the um, parents of their ex-wife or husband, yes. whoever, you, 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 you affected surprise and almost shock. Yeah, well, would you say that's a common occurrence? I think it's, I don't know. I mean, you see, I'm, I don't know either, Robert. That, that's why I was a little bit shocked. I mean, does that go on? I mean, I, I'm looking at this from a, a point, Robert, because I've not been divorced. You know, no, I've, well, I've, I've never been married. Yeah, well, so <laughs> I, I mean, I've got plenty of time on my side. You know, I don't know what's going to happen here. But, I mean, what I'm saying is I, I, I don't know, but I think about it, and I think, well, actually, you know, should that ever happen to me, would I, how would I feel about being comfortable going to have a, a cup of char with maybe my, my ex's in-laws? And I, I can't even begin to imagine that. But is it not a cause to celebrate if they, don't, if they feel quite comfortable doing it? I think it's a positive thing. I think you're yeah. right to identify that. Yeah. I mean, although I've never been married, I was engaged. So I was saying to your colleague in the office, in, mm. the, in the station. And um, I asked for the wedding ring back, or engage, engagement ring back, yeah. when we split. And my ex-fiancée was so annoyed, she wrote me to say she'd thrown it over, over uh, Vauxhall Bridge and the Thames. <laughs> I said it was quite valuable. I almost thought, well, should I get a diver to look for it? I thought, probably not. Well, I would have done. <laughs> May I move on to the second uh, thing you were talking about? Please do. Being overweight. Yes. Um, I, don't, don't take me wrong, I mean, this is not meant critically, but I would no more celebrate, if I were overweight, I would no more celebrate the fact of being unhealthy than I would celebrate the fact that I was possibly giving myself lung cancer through smoking cigarettes. It's a bizarre story, isn't it? Can I, can I just, just forgive me for a second, because people might be thinking while you're talking about it, this is the, the fatty Olympics that are happening in a park in Newham in East London at the weekend, because um, pe people believe, there's this belief that there is uh, intense fat phobia of the Olympics, which I frankly find laughable. And I mean, someone made the point earlier that the kind of doing this is not going to do people who are, who are larger than maybe others any favours. Hello, may I, may I respond? Yes, of course. I mean, one could equally argue that Weight Watchers are fatophobic because their whole objective aim in life is to, is to get rid of the fat, the yes. surplus fat. Yes. But I agree with you. I mean, I've had... I've had no evidence whatever that the Olympics are fatophobic. All they're doing is celebrating fitness, which lots of people do. Robert in Edgware, good to have you on, and thank you for your kind comments.
It's Robert in Edgware. 0845 6060973. Uh, you can text 84850 and tweet at LBC973. We'll get an update on the news headlines and travel next here at LBC 97.3. Latest news headlines, here's Sam Pittis. Managers at the Royal Brompton Hospital say patients will... Good morning, 18 minutes past five is the time. Don't panic, Steve Allen off this morning. Normal service will be resumed tomorrow morning here at LBC 97.3. I hear with interest because it's, what, Thursday morning? So uh, LBC's James Whale is uh, heading into Sky News and you can see him on the box shortly. Uh, Apparently, normally what we do is we do the front pages so he knows what to talk about. So uh, James this morning, front page of The Guardian. It's uh, it's all about George Osborne accusing Labour of the rate-fixing scandal. Balls dismisses frenzied, desperate Chancellor. Diamond condemns behaviour of bank staff. George Osborne ramped up hostilities with Labour over Britain's banking culture last night when he accused Ed Balls and other former ministers of being at the heart of the row over the manipulation of interest rates during the credit crisis. You'll find that story on many of the front pages and also people getting very excited as well uh, about the, uh, the Higgs boson. It has taken 50 years and cost 2.6 billion quid. Now at last the Higgs boson particle has been found and a new chapter in our understanding of the universe can begin. That's the headline on the front page of The Independent. The Eye has the same story. Uh, the Times has... Uh, do you know what? The Duchess of Cambridge really is the way forward for the royal family. Would anyone disagree with that? In more ways than one. And there she is. She was at the tennis yesterday applauding Andy Murray on centre court, looking magnificent. Also, the headline on the front page of the Times, Diamond refuses to take blame for rate fix. Uh, we've got the Telegraph today. Uh, interesting story. Apparently, there's uh, a big tax grab going on in France for uh, holiday homes. A lot of Brits... Uh, own holiday homes in France, and as a result of the uh, the new president, the socialist Hollande, uh, he's uh, he's out to tax the better off to reduce France's large budget deficit. So if you're a rich Londoner and you've got a second home in France, uh, he's uh, ratcheting up the taxes. I was saying earlier, and uh, here's an idea: we have we have an increasing amount of uh, French people moving to London because it's um, it's a little bit cheaper than living in France. So uh, maybe we should tax them as a way of kind of like revenge. That could work. Uh, That's the Telegraph this morning. Uh, The Mail uh, has a disturbing story. Did police have to handcuff dementia patient is a question they ask. They talk about a story of an 84-year-old who uh, had Alzheimer's and was handcuffed by a policeman because apparently the policeman feared for his own safety. That's the Mail this morning. And uh, we've got the Express. What's the Express talking about? Floods. Britain facing flood misery. Two months rain in the next three days. So there's something to look forward to. And a a lovely picture again of um, uh, Kate on the front page at Wimbledon yesterday. And the red top tabloids. I think my favourite headline this morning is the front page of the mirror. A load of old Bollinger. Is champagne swilling bank boss telling porkies or incompetent? Bob Diamond yesterday claimed he knew nothing of the rate rigging that shamed Barclays Bank. The ex-boss told MPs he only heard about it from a report last month. And I love this. Uh, Labour's John Mann said either you were complicit, grossly negligent or uh, grossly incompetent. 
I think it rather sums it up one way or another. That's uh, the mirror. And uh, the sun has a horrible story uh, about, uh, well, I'll give you the headline, Cage the Porn Boy Who Raped My Girl Aged Four, from Page of the Sun. And uh, the star talks about football. World Chumps is the headline. What a joke, say fans, after FIFA ranks England as fourth best team. Well, it's not not a great surprise because FIFA doesn't like England. Doesn't like the England football team. Uh, those are the front pages of Thursday morning's newspapers. And James, if you're listening, I hope that helps. 5.22 is the time. We're talking about divorce uh, because uh, Katie Holmes used to be married to um, Tom Cruise, a little fella. Uh, they're, um, well, she's filed for divorce and now she's been spotted without her wedding ring. So life after divorce, what happens? What is divorce etiquette? And how important is a wedding ring? Steve is in Chigwell. Steve, good morning. Morning to you. Uh, I've had three divorces. What would you like to know? I'd like to know what happened the first time and how did you cope? Cope very well. It's um, we, we grew apart. Uh, we split up 50-50. We're still friends. Oh, well, that's good. How, how did you make that work then? Because when you drift apart slowly, yeah. you, you get used to living a separate life. And there comes a point when both of you decide, look pointless staying together, let's call it a day, amicably, and and split. And I'm still friends with her today. You're friends with her. What about her uh, her family? Do you still see them? I don't see them because they they live quite quite a long way, but I'm in touch with, uh, I mean, she's only got a mother left now and a brother, and from time to time we speak. And I mean, is, is there any difficulty there at all? None whatsoever. How, how do you manage to pull that off, Steve? I can, I can only presume that you were a top bloke to be married to. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I, I put that down, as I said earlier, you know, drifting apart slowly, slowly, and you get used to another life. Yeah. And uh, you say that you've been divorced three times. So it's very good of you to come on LBC this morning and, and talk us through your divorces. Second and third times, I mean, did you still manage to be amicable after the splits? second one was amicable to a degree, but what I did with that, because I had a child involved, I gave her everything I had. So she had the house, money in the bank, uh, all the contents, a new car I bought her. I walked away with just my clothes, my business, uh, my car and my dog. Why did you make the decision? Because cause many men fight, don't they, for what they think is rightfully theirs. You, you kind of just walked away with, as you say, your car, your clothes you were standing up in, etc. Was that a conscious decision? Was that born out of guilt? What's the story? No, it's, it's a clinical decision. If you give everything you've got, you can't give any more. Yeah. So if you want to fight where a child's involved, the maximum you're going to achieve is perhaps 30% of the assets. Uh-huh. And if I leave all the assets with her, it's also for the child. Yes. So you considered it to be the right thing to do because there was a child involved in the, in the whole case? And, and there can't be any fighting because if you give asset-wise everything you've got, mm. you can't give any more, can you? Yeah. Um, So from your experience, Steve, of being divorced three times, and there'll be people listening to this thinking, well, this is a little bit black and a little bit strange, but I'm I'm intrigued to just explore your experience. What what one thing have you learned from all three divorces? I think there's the expectations of marriage is too high. 
marriage brings a lot of problems. Um, with my third uh, marriage, uh, because what you have to understand is every time I've started again from nothing, with, you know, with no assets, yeah. and I've built it up again, and I've gone out and I've able, been able to buy another property. Mm. And the, the, the third marriage um, caused problems because I was working long hours to maintain a good lifestyle. And um, when she complained about the working hours, I said, okay, I'll cut the working hours, but pro rata, income's going to fall. You're going to have to cut back. Mm. She agreed to that. We, we started that regime. So, of course, when the income dropped, she didn't like the, the, the reduced lifestyle, if you like. And she turned around to me and said, oh, go on. Go and do your, your long hours again. And that's what a lot of guys are fighting their women for at the moment is because it's on a financial level. It's been a really interesting call, Steve. Listen, thanks for coming on and thank you for answering my questions. Pleasure. So Stephen Chigwell on LBC 97.3. On a slightly lighter note, we're talking about British comedy because many of this morning's newspapers are uh, filled with tributes and rightly so to Eric Sykes. Uh, whose death was announced yesterday. The modest genius who made us cry with laughter is one of the headlines. And I've been asking you about comedians, past and present, who, who kind of make you laugh. Some great stuff coming in. Uh, well, it would be. Can we put it back on the other screen? Thank you. Uh, Connie in Stockwell. Uh, text to say, what about female comedians? I can only talk about Victoria Wood. She is my favourite comedian. She is the best. And I met her three times after her stage performances. She's very nice and friendly. And I really wish she would be my neighbour. <laughs> best wishes to Steve this morning. He will be back tomorrow, I am sure. And uh, one here from Carolyn West Drayton who says, I'm 65, Duncan, and I can remember as a young girl, Sunday dinner was always ready to sit and listen to Round the Horn with the Billy Cotton show as well. Lunch was always fun as a family, says Carol. And a final one here from Mark in Putney says, the only decent double act in British comedy nowadays is David Cameron and Ed Balls, a.k.a. Punch and Judy. Good point. Well made. 84850 is the text number. Uh, you can tweet at LBC973 and we'll get you on air this morning. 08456060973. Talking about the greats of British comedy, past and present. And uh, also, I want you to talk about your cars this morning because there's a cracking, if you like your motors, there's a cracking picture and a story about a 100-year-old Rolls-Royce. It's a silver shadow and it was the uh, subject of a, uh, sorry, a silver ghost. Car anoraks will be quick to pick me up on that. A silver ghost uh, that was uh, subject to a bidding war went for five million quid. It's got ivory and silver fittings, silk door panels and a China tea service. It's got to be the way forward. So when it comes to motors, what's best, a classic car or a new car? And what have you got? Have you got a classic car? Text me, 84850. And, of course, you can tweet at LBC973. Because I want to know what the benefits are. To, to classic cars, because we've already established that you can get a classic car insurance, which can only be a good thing. Anything to save a few quid on the car insurance premiums. But, I mean, I should imagine, and I saw someone the other day driving a, what was it? It was, it was a Cortina, and it must have been, what, 81, 82, 1981, 1982? And I thought, Do you know what, that is, that is, it was an old lady driving it. You kind of presume it being in the garage and then it gets taken out on special occasions. Uh, and I thought, that must be fun to drive, but I wonder whether or not it's worth the hassle. 
because something that old must break down. You've got a classic car. Is it worth the hassle? You know, you've got a little bit of jaded elegance if you're driving around in an old Merc or an old Beamer or whatever. But what are the, what are the downsides to it? 0845 to text. And, of course, you can tweet at LBC973. It's Thursday morning. It's LBC97.3. And it's half past five. It's Duncan in for Steve for one morning only here at LBC 97.3. The morning news on the air from 6.30 this morning. And then, of course, uh, Nick Ferrari broadcasting from the Shard in London from 7 this morning here at LBC 97.3. Shall I do the weather? All right. Uh, The forecast... Uh, today, any mist knocking around this morning will soon clear, leaving sunny intervals throughout the morning. However, not good after lunch, rain, showers developing, some of which may be heavy and thundery. Uh, highest today of 23 Celsius. Uh, according to the Express this morning, uh, not just showers are going to be thundery, but certainly heavy, because the Express is saying Britain's facing a flood misery, two months of rain in the next three days. I mean, it really is hard to, to believe it's the 5th of July. Can't get my head around it. We might get a summer eventually. So stuff going on this morning. We're talking about comedians, past and present, uh, following the uh, the death of Eric Sykes. Uh, as one newspaper this morning called him, the modest genius who made us cry with laughter. And if you've ever met maybe uh, someone like Eric Sykes or Barry Cryer or any of the goons, we had a Jean from Morden on earlier who, who's got all of their autographs. She met them when she was working uh, at a venue who have you met? What were they like? Let's talk about British comedians of the past and also the ones that you rate of now. Is anyone good knocking around? 0845 is my number. I'm trying to work out what's better, a classic car or a new car. I'm torn. I like the idea of a new car that actually is just hassle-free. All right? I like the idea of not having to worry about it and, and you know it just works and it's safe and all of that. Yeah, it's not very stylish, is it? driving around in a, in a modern-day Astra. You know, a classic car, something with a bit of faded elegance, maybe like a 25-year-old Merc. A L- little bit of rust around the wheel arches. You know, a, li- a little bit of work needed doing on it, but just, just kind of, you know, leather seats. Oh, it's stylish. What's better, a classic car or a new car? What have you got? If you're driving a classic car... I want to know what you get behind the wheel of. 84850 to text. Tweet at LBC973. Uh, we're also um, we're looking at divorce this morning as the uh, debate continues about when you should take your wedding ring off. Katie Holmes is, uh, was married to Tom Cruise. Well, well, I think she's still officially married, but she's filed for divorce. Has been spotted in New York without her wedding ring. So if you are lucky enough to, to get divorced, when did you take your ring off? I'd love to know if you kept it. Or did you think, actually, I can get a couple of hundred quid for this? 0845 And they say we're a nation of animal lovers. Uh, yeah, according to some of the stuff I'm looking at here that's been released by the RSPCA, I would beg to differ. Uh, we have a story here of uh, a cat that was put in a tumble dryer and filmed for the internet. And uh, also a three-year-old lurcher called Hattie who was uh, thrown onto the M56. Are we really a nation of animal lovers? I suppose the bigger question here, and what I want to discuss this morning, is what should happen to these people? When we catch these people, what should we do with them? Jail them? Flog them? 0845 uh, Martin's in Kingston. Martin, good morning. Good morning to you, Duncan. Let's talk comedy. Who have you seen? Dave Allen. Ah. 
Nice. Classic. He is a classic, classic, isn't he? Yeah. Where did you see him? I saw him at Richmond Theatre uh, a long time ago, probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But he was such a gentle comedian, but so incisive. The way he directed his comedy, it was uh, it was a pleasure to see him. It was I watched him on television for many years, and uh, fortunately he was... Uh, was able to get tickets to see him when he came to our local theatre. It was a, it was a wonderful night, and a wonderful comedian. For you, what what was the essence of Dave Allen? He was he was a gentle comedian. He he would he was never vulgar in the way that he he talked to people. He would he would kind of heckle his audience, mm. but uh, he was never. Yeah, sort of a. To say he was never vulgar with him. He was, he was always a gentle comedian, and he was just a, a very, very clever man. Very, he understood comedy, I think, um, in the way that a lot of people don't these days. I seem to recall he used to get quite a bit of flack because he used to send up the uh, the Catholic Church. He did, but he, again, it was never. Um, he was sort of vicious or, or anything that... He, he sent them up, I think, because it was his own upbringing, really. He always said that he was, you know, he was an Irishman, he was a, an Irish Catholic, and it was the upbringing that he'd had. And um, I suppose it was his view on his own upbringing that was uh, so interesting. One of my memories is always seeing him on the telly Martin, and he always used to seem to have a fag on the go and a tumbler of scotch. He did, yeah, indeed. That was his trademark, really. Yeah. Do, do we think there was genuinely scotch in that glass? Uh, I'm not certain. I'd like to believe it was, to be honest. Yeah, you see, so would I. And the only reason I'm asking the question is I read a book a while ago about the Rat Pack, you know, about Frank Sinatra yeah, and yeah, Sammy sure, Davis yeah. Jr. and Dean Martin. Yeah. And, and, you know, Dean Martin old little wine drinker me and all that, kind of played the lush on stage, and he used to come on stage with a drink, didn't he? And yeah. uh, a lot of the time, he was, just, he was just hamming it up. He was perfectly sober. So I do wonder sometimes whether or not, in the case of Dave Allen, there was genuinely a, a drop of malt or whatever in his tumbler, or whether or not it was just part of the act. It may have been, but I, I have to say that at the, when I saw him at Richmond Theatre, he uh, was kind of heckling the audience a little bit, but at the end of the day, he, he had two or three people who had gone to relieve themselves during the course of his, uh, his act. Um, and one of, them, one of them was a heavily pregnant woman. And he, at the end of it, he, he was kind of talking to her and uh, asking her questions. But he gave her a case of champagne. Really? Yeah, just wished the best for her and her family and uh, hoped that she was okay. So he was a real gentleman. I was going to say, that is the mark of a gent, isn't it? It was, yeah. It was a beautiful thing to do. It was, was as I say, it was one of the funniest performances I've ever seen in my life. And, uh, you know, I always thought that Dave Allen was, he was a classic comedian. He was the same as Sykes. You know, Sykes is a great comedian. we've, We've lost too many of them, unfortunately. Guys who can just make you laugh by what they do and the way they move, the way they act. Mm. It was, uh, 
anyway, that was my view. Well, no, it's good. I was, I was going to ask you, do you think we'll ever see the likes of them again? Because, I mean, who, who do you rate nowadays? Uh, Michael McIntyre, I think, is quite is, is quite a good comedian. Yeah. Um, because he's so, kind of know, the same mould, isn't he? I mean, there's no there's no real offence or smut there, is there? Well, it's not supposed to be. You know, I don't... I, I think comedy is... is for me, it, it's the ability to make you laugh mm. by what you do and what you say and not necessarily just use a lot of bad language for it. And I, I, I don't think that's funny. You know, I mean, Ben Elton was a, he's a terrific writer, but when he was a stand-up comedian... I always felt that he relied on using bad language all the time. Yeah, so I think you're right. To get a laugh. Yeah, and I also, my, my thing with Ben Elton was, he, he in the 80s, he was very anti-establishment with Saturday Night Live and stuff, and yet now, in many ways, he's um, he's part of the establishment. Uh, Martin, good to talk to you this morning. It's LBC 97.3. Uh, cracking picture this morning in the mail of this uh, 100-year-old Rolls-Royce silver ghost. It's gone for nearly 5 million quid in an auction. So what's better, a classic car or a modern car? Roy's in Chatham. Roy, good morning. Good morning. Well, why don't you have the best of both worlds? <laughs> I wish. I have. Actually, I was listening to you a second ago as regards to the lady driving that 1981 Cortina. Yeah. Would you class a Cortina as a classic car? Uh, I think it's an iconic car. I have a... I think it's one of the most iconic uh, Cortinas going. It's the Mark II Cortina 1600E. Right. And it has a modern-day... Engine, gearbox, axles, suspension, everything. All oh, right, so so you got the you got the original shell, but you've just you just put all of the modern day gubbins inside. Uh, yeah, well, basically, yeah, the engine, the gear, but all the running, all the running gear, all the stuff that's going to break down is all modern. Right. So I have got a classic modern car. Well, why have you done that, Roy? I don't mean to be rude. I mean, you know, if, if you want the reliability of modern kind of technology, why not have a modern car? Yeah, there's no, there's no identity to them, really, is there? They're all very beige. No, I mean, there's no... I mean, years ago, you used to have chrome everywhere. Yeah. You know, my, it's got, my car's got chrome bumper, it's got a chrome grille, it's got chrome inch trim and things like that. Yeah. But nowadays, you look at a car, what has got chrome on it now? It's nothing. It's all plastic. So you've got three Cortinas in total? Yes. What's the oldest one? They're all 1969. Right. Uh, they're all, uh, two are, um, quite, they're, two are standard, they're kept standard, they're, they're, they're unusual cars, yeah. um, but the, the one that I've had since I learned to drive, uh, which I actually bought in 1988, 87, sorry, um, that's the car that I've had since then, and that's the car I've had, it's from original, I loved the car when it was original, but it just wasn't quick enough. Okay. Are you so, uh, are you are you one of these people I see on a Sunday heading off to motor shows around the country? Uh, yes, but I'm normally on the outside lane doing about ninety five rather than on the inside lane. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that. 
That's <laughs> all right. I've sent plenty of things in the last five hours to incriminate myself, so don't worry about it. But what I'm interested in is, you know, you've got all this modern-day technology inside the car. Do people see your 69 Cortina and think, I'm going to have that, and you just put your foot down and you floor it and you leave them in the dust? You do get some of these um, modern-day boy racers, should I say, in their, uh, in their courses and their, um, you know, their, their metros and things like that that want to... Um, race you away from the light thinking they're going to beat you and then all of a sudden it's like uh, no you're not see you later even the modern even the modern day boy races you know with their cars you know this gives it a good race going for its money let's say and i mean any plans to get any more cortinas uh if i do it would as another part of your show it would be divorce number four <laughs> You obviously have a you, you have a tolerant lady, a tolerant wife, but maybe not that tolerant. Roy, it's good to have you on. Roy and Chatham with your three 1969 Cortinas. So classic cars versus modern day cars. If you drive uh, something that can be considered classic, what have you got? 0845 is my text number. And you can tweet, it's at LBC973. It's Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen. Thursday morning, it's LBC97.3. Good morning, Thursday morning, a shade off ten minutes to six. It's a Duncan in for Steve for one morning only, so don't panic, don't get confused. Normal service will be resumed tomorrow morning here at LBC 97.3. Talking of which, uh, an email here from uh, Jackie Hayward, who says, Best wishes to Steve, good morning to the Crumblies and Ducklings today, with a mention for special Diana, Karen, Paul, Jill and Marion. Thanks a lot, Duncan. I love Jackie. Uh, Jackie, well, there you are. Thank you for your email, duncan at lbc.co.uk. So we'll continue our look at the front and inside pages of many of this morning's newspapers. As I said earlier, a number of things dominating the front page. On the chunkier titles, you'll find the the ongoing Barclays saga. And on uh, various other titles, you'll you'll find a right old mixture of stuff, uh, including the cheery headline on the front page of the uh, Daily Express, which is the fact that this country is facing flood misery. Uh, We're talking comedy this morning. We're talking about Eric Sykes and uh, many of the papers this morning. Tributes to Eric Sykes. We're talking about British comedy past and present. Who do you rate? And maybe in some of your cases, and we had some great calls this morning, who have you met? Comedians of yesteryear, 0845 6060 is our number. It's uh, LBC 97.3. Joan is in Potter's Bar. Joan. Oh, um, good morning, Duncan. Duncan. Um, I met Mike Milligan in very unusual circumstances in the 1960s. I'd been suffering um, badly from depression, and I was attending um, a North London... Um, psychiatric hospital um, on a Saturday morning. One morning, I was standing at the bus stop, Finchley, waiting for the bus to take me to the uh, hospital, when a white Rolls Royce pulled up beside the bus stop, and a gentleman who I didn't know, um, but who I'd seen at the clinic, said, would you like a lift? And, uh, of course, I... (laughs) I was, I was quite good-looking in that now. I thought I was being picked up. And uh, he said, I'm going to Dr. So-and-so's uh, clinic. I, I, I've seen you there. And so I hopped in, and uh, I had a, I had this lift with him in this very, very nice um, Rolls-Royce and got to the clinic, and we went our separate way. But someone at the clinic said to me, oh, you came in with Spike Milligan. And I didn't know that it was Spike Milligan, but he was, in fact, uh, attending the same doctor in the same clinic. 
And I mean, what can you just give me a, a little bit more details to what he was like? Because I've read so much stuff about Spike, and, and, and there were many comic geniuses, and I think we can use the word genius when we talk about Spike Milligan. You know, there was a very dark side as well. And I mean, you've been good enough to, to tell us, Joan, that you were, you know, going to the same psychiatric clinic. I mean, what did you make of the bloke when you met him? Well, he, he didn't, like many depressives and like myself, he didn't seem depressed at the time, but he was bipolar. Um, and uh, he, he, um, you know, on some occasions he seemed, as it were, down, and others he was very, very talkative. He was very interested in um, in birds and, and natural life, and he used to talk quite a lot about the birds that he'd seen and so on. And that was he didn't ever talk about his illness. Neither of us did really. But one day, one time, he gave me tickets to the show that he was in in London at that time, which some of your older read, um, listeners may remember, and that was The Son of Oblomov. Oh. And uh, he was performing Oblomov in the, in the play. I think it was at the Criterion. And uh, I went to see it, see it, and he acted the part of Oblomov who stayed in bed the whole time of the performance. I can't remember the details because I was quite ill at the time. Um, but he had a manic um, spell whilst he was on stage. And what what he did was, and again, people may remember this. It was in the, you know, it was the critics wrote about it, and so he he took over sort of the show. He, he started acting everybody's part and and acting in a very maniacal, manic, you know, way. Mm. Whilst he was on stage, and um, not long afterwards, I think he was um, um, in hospital. Is there anyone knocking around nowadays, comedy-wise, that you rate, Joan? Is there anyone you would say is up there with Spike Milligan? Um, well, I don't watch the comedian. I'm, I'm, I'm not a person who watches comedians, actually. I did, I did used to watch some of the old sort of sitcom-y things that the older comedians were in, and like your previous caller, I used to like Dave Allen. Um, but I'm afraid I don't know any of the modern comedians, uh, Duncan. That may be very remiss of me. <laughs> I, I'm going to come across as a right old git, if you pardon the expression, but you know what? I don't think you're missing much. Joan in Potter's Bar, many thanks for your call. It's LBC 97.3, Thursday morning, 5.53 is the time. It's Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen. And uh, the Spike Milligan theme continues to be developed. John's in Hampstead. John, good morning. Uh, hi, Duncan. Hi. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking it back on a lighter note to the uh, late 1950s, the Ronnie Scott Old Place. Yeah. When I, I was studying music, and I was always down there. And so, it, so, it sorry, was Ronnie quite... Scott's, what, the first time round? That was Gerard Street, wasn't it? Yeah, Gerard yeah. Street in the basement. And uh, and uh, Spike was always there, uh, and, and he'd just sit at the table and he'd say, yeah. uh, you want some wine, Daddy? Yeah, Daddy, have some wine. He called everybody Daddy. Really? And and uh, he was a very hip bloke. He loved jazz, and he loved to be in that environment. Uh, uh, and uh, you know, I didn't. I, I didn't. I'm not saying I became great friends with him, but you know, in passing, you 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 kind of spoke to him, and uh, we were really talking about the music. You know, he played a bit of trumpet, and uh, he, he. Did you know that? Did you know he played music? At well, all? I, d- I didn't know he was a musician. What I did know is that he was very matey of Ronnie Scott because I'm, I'm quite a big jazz fan and, and, you know, I've read several books about the, the club and Ronnie and Ronnie Scott's and stuff and, and there's a very interesting chapter in one of the books. I forget what it's called. I think it's called Jazz Man, the tale of Ronnie Scott's. And um, th- there's there's a tale in there about, about Ronnie who, you know, battled depression, had some yes, issues. Yes, indeed. 
And, uh, you know, there's, there's one particular chapter that talks about the, uh, uh, you know, the particularly dark period, the particularly gloomy period, and uh, his treatment ended up being paid for by Spike Millig- Milligan because Spike, you know, understood what the bloke was going through. So... Uh, yeah, I quite believe that. But, you know, he used to talk about uh, the New York scene and Bird and Dizzy and all these people, you know, and that was the world that I adored and I was immersed in. And still I am. Well, you and me both, John. Listen, I've got to leave it there, mate, because your your line is um, is losing it somewhat, and I'm struggling to hear you. And if I am, uh, listeners to LBC 97.3 will be as well. But, John, thanks for coming on, and uh, clearly we have a shared passion for uh, the world of Ronnie Scott's. Uh, to your texts and tweets, at LBC 973 to tweet, text 84850. Uh, great piece in the mail today about this uh, lovely Rolls-Royce. I mean, deliciously politically incorrect as well, uh, this roller, because um, looking at it, um, it's got a lot of ivory built into it. I mean, it wouldn't see the light of day now. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the protests if you had uh, ivory door handles on a vehicle coming off the production line? Anyway, this uh, Rolls-Royce, Silver Ghost it is, went for about five million quid. It manages to six miles to the gallon, has a top speed of only 60 miles an hour. And we're trying to work out what is better, a classic car or a, uh, a modern-day car? And you've been good enough to tell me what you've got. Here's one from Mary in Mitcham, who says we have an Austin Cambridge. We've never been out without several people commenting on how beautiful the car is and asking if they can take a picture. It is a 68 model and is very good on petrol. Also, we've had many offers to buy it, but we will never sell, says Mary in Mitcham. Uh, Dave in Beckenham. Uh, cars today look as though they are electric and not powered by internal combustion engines. Is it the transitional look, says Dave. Thank you for your text, Dave. And uh, one here uh, from Mike uh, from Crayford. I've got a Toyota MR2. Uh, top two litre 1993 styled on a Ferrari profile pop-up headlamps leather two-seater uh, slick to drive economical to drive and fun was 21 21,000 pounds new now two grand and still looks stylish and fast in met blue I'm I've got to be honest with you Mike and Crayford I'm, I'm struggling to think whether or not a 93 Toyota MR2 really goes into the category of a classic car you know, I mean, we're up there with a with, with a uh, kind of like a, a an Austin Cambridge. Someone's just texted in about. You know, we've had people on the air this morning with their '69 Cortinas. One bloke's got three of them, and you know, an MR2, a Toyota 1993. Well, I'm not being rude. I, I wouldn't class that as a as a classic car. Uh, one here from Nikki in South End. Duncan, I have a 1980 Mini 1000. It's cheap on parts and to run. It looks good. Just love it. Well, you can't get better than the Mini, can you? I think that's got to be one of the iconic British cars. And I think we have the Italian job and Michael Caine to thank for that. So we're talking about classic cars versus modern cars. Off the back of this story of this uh, Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost, 100 years old, went for about £5 million. You've got a classic car. What do you drive and why? And also I'm interested in the kind of punishments we need to start thinking about uh, when we talk about these people. In this nation of ours, which is supposed to be a nation of animal lovers, uh, we have police currently hunting the owner of Princess the Cat. 
after he stuck her in the tumble dryer three times and posted the footage of it on YouTube. Uh, we also have the sad tale of uh, a lurcher, three years old. Her name's Hattie, lucky to be alive after being thrown out onto the M56. Uh, some of the stories, some of the cases that are currently being investigated by the RSPCA. So the question is, are we really a nation of animal lovers? And when we catch these people, what do we do? Jail sentence? Flog them? 0845 for your calls. You can text 84850 and tweet at LBC973. It's Thursday morning. It's Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen here on London's Biggest Conversation, LBC 97.3. Good morning, Thursday morning. It's LBC 97.3. I'm Duncan Barks in for Steve Allen. You know something? This is probably the longest radio show I've ever done. I'm here through until 6.30. The morning news on the air from half six this morning. And then uh, Nick Ferrari at breakfast live from the Shard here at LBC 97.3. Steve Unwell this morning. So uh, I'm here through until half past six. Got the newspapers for a Thursday morning and I uh, keep talking about this Rolls Royce. I'm getting car envy this morning. It's a lovely uh, thing is, I mean, what would you do with this? If you had five million quid, where would you stick it? This is a Rolls Royce, Silver Ghost, 100 years old. In an auction, it's gone for uh, around uh, five million pounds. I mean, it really is a luxury. I mean, you couldn't take it anywhere. You would just, you would just put it in your garage and stroke it. That's what you would do. So we're talking about classic cars versus modern day cars. I have a kind of dream. I'd love to. I'd, do you know what I'd love to drive? Is a battered old Land Rover. Love one of those. I think when I have my midlife crisis, which is probably I don't know three or four years away, I think that's what I'll do. Get a Landy. So what have you got? Have you got a classic car? What have you got and why? And is it better than something that's modern? 0845 That conversation continues. And uh, I'm looking for suitable punishments this morning because they say we're a nation of animal lovers. Uh, yet the RSPCA have released details of various cases. We've got some, um, some scrote. It's my favourite word at the moment, uh, who put uh, a cat, Princess was her name, uh, in a tumble dryer three times. He filmed it and then posted the footage on YouTube. Uh, we also have this story of a three-year-old lurcher called Hattie, lucky to be alive after being chucked onto the M56. Uh, the RSPCA are trying to track these people down. So when we get hold of them, what do we do? Do you think these kind of crimes against animals is... Uh, do you think it's worthy of a custodial sentence? Stick them in the clink? Problem is, our jails are overcrowded. So what do we do? Flog them. 0845 is the number. You can text 84850 and tweet at LBC973. Uh, I look through uh, the newspapers, the front pages. If you've just woken up in a few moments' time, let you know what's happening in the world this morning. And also some of the uh, inside pages as well. Seven minutes past six is the time. Ben is in Lewisham. Ben. Oh, hi, Duncan. Ben. Um, I'd just like to uh, talk to you about my, my dad's car. He's got a um, BMW, but it's 1972 3 litre CSL and he has it in a kind of lime green colour a 72 Beamer yeah and I mean and uh, go on yeah I was going to say it's like my favourite car like I wouldn't if it's like if someone had to choose if someone maybe choose between that or a Ferrari I'd always choose that no matter it's, it's just a great car 
So you're a young bloke, Ben. I mean, you know, it's sort of like you sound like a bloke who you know is a, is a, is a thrusting young lad, and you'd be quite happy with a seventy-two Beamer. Yeah, because it's just so rare. Like in my whole life, like my whole life, I've only ever seen two other of the same car, and I get around quite a bit. And mm. when you go up London and you see all the supercars and new cars and Bugattis and Ferraris, it's just so common. They haven't got the same amount of class or style, and it's just yeah. I got to say, I'm envious of your dad, Ben. And what? What? I mean, tell tell me this: as a, as a young bloke, is, is it because no one else would have a car like this, which is why you like it? The fact that it's so unique. Yeah, yeah, it is that to be honest. And like, hopefully, when I. A couple of years, like a year or so, when I pass my test, I hope to like drive that around because it's like a rare classic. And even inside, it's like really luxurious. Even though it's like forty odd years old, it still has full electric windows and leather and stuff that like modern day cars they have, but not to the same kind of you know style. Good to have you on this morning, Ben. Thanks for your call. Oh eight four five six zero six zero nine seven three. It's LBC ninety seven point three. Thursday morning. Uh, Pat is in Stansted. Pat. Good morning to you. Morning. Cars. I love them. Um, I've got an old Land Rover, uh, which I've had. I've just had a look up. I've had it 15 years. Yeah. I paid £5,000 for it 50, 15 years ago. Um, <clears throat> it's just got through its MOT with a, a few tweaks yeah. and a couple of tyres that need replacing. Yeah. But then I've also got a 1926 Morris. You're a classy lady, Pat. I know. Classy lady. So when do you take the Morris out for a spin? Oh, well, I go to little shows. I've, I've only had it two years, but I was looking, I've been looking for it for two years before then. Yeah. <coughs> and all I'd advise anybody buying a classic car, join whichever classic car show, car um, uh, club it's in, because they will know their cars. And when I went down to Kent to fetch this, hmm. um, I was told, oh, yes, we know that one. It's fine. Um, sorry, I'm sorry. Now I've missed your question. No, it's fine. No, I'm just fascinated about your, 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 your Morris Minor. And oh, the, the no, thing it's about... not a Mor- no, it's not a Morris oh, Minor. sorry. It's, it's a bullnose Morris. Morris Oxford, three-quarter coupe. Oh, an Oxford. Oh, I know. <laughs> oh, tell me, what does it smell like? It's not the smell. It's the sound of the engine. Sound which is just wonderful. Uh, but, I mean, you are limited. I mean, the member, the other members of the Bullnose Club, oh, they go to France, <laughs> they go to Scotland, they yeah. go to Germany, whereas I tend to keep around Essex where I live. So, yeah. uh, But I do my shopping in it. And uh, So you do it, your it, shopping in the Morris Oxford? Yes. <laughs> what do you use the Land Rover for? Oh, uh, just general buzzing about. Yeah. Um, uh, if I've got... I've got two large Labradors, and if... I need to go somewhere to walk them. I stick them in the back. So it's. But I used to have a horse, you see. So I used to pull a horse box, uh, bring hay in, all sorts of things. It, it's a real workhorse. That I, I'm not into sort of posh, posh Land Rovers. I think there's something magical about a Land Rover. I, I love the idea. I've got this great mental image now of you driving around with your labs on board. Oh yes, they're lovely in the back. But it was so funny because. Um, when I was going to buy it, I'd got a horse then, and I need, my friend had got a Land Rover, hmm. and I thought, oh, I'd love one. So I tried hers. I thought, yes. But both my children, who were grown up, I said, I'm going to buy a Land Rover. And they said, Mother, you are too small. So when my son, who was over six foot, said to me, uh, oh, can I? And I bought it. And I said, can I 
uh, he said, can I drive it? I said, no, you're too large. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but, but the Little Morris is wonderful. The people that have vin- uh, vintage cars yeah. are just so lovely. They don't show off at all. No. You know, they just sort of look, as soon as, if you have a gathering of them, I'm going to a gathering in August, and um, the first thing is everybody does lift the bonnet to have a look. But, you see, you are limited... Uh, Air conditioning is just open a window. Oh, quite right. I know. The windscreen wiper you do by hand. Yes. It's a little tiny windscreen wiper, about six inches. Um, the headlights, not that I, I must admit I do not drive at night in it. You have a lever that you push forward, which dips the headlights. I'm it's, very envious, Pat. I'm going to track you down in Stansted and go for a spin in your Land Rover. Listen, it's a great call. Thank you. And, and as for your Morris Oxford, you see, a Morris Oxford, you used to imagine the smell. I can kind of, kind of smell a Bakelite radios and some, some old bloke puffing on a briar pipe with some kind of like ready rubbed inside. Uh, Pat in Stansted, many thanks. 0845 is my number. If you put the radio on, you're wondering what the heck's going on. Let me explain. Steve is off this morning. He's, uh, he's not well, so I'm here for one morning only. It's LBC 97.3. I'm Duncan Barks. Well, uh, look at Thursday morning's newspapers in uh, a little bit more detail shortly. Uh, we're trying to work out what's better. And I've got to be honest with you, at the moment, the classic car is trumping the modern motor. Uh, I know with interest, Andy McColl, our travel guru here at LBC 97.3, has uh, just sent me a message to say he has an automatic 1976 Triumph 200, sorry, a Triumph 2000 TC and uh, an 04 Toyota Celica, which uh, he would describe as a modern classic. Yeah. You see, my, uh, my uncle Colin used to have a Triumph Stag. And uh, he was quite a cad in many ways. Had a cravat as well. This is LBC 97.3. LBC 97.3. Bucks. Good morning. 18 minutes past six is the time. It's Duncan in for Steve for one morning only. The morning news here from half six this morning with Susan Bookbinder and then Nick Ferrari from seven broadcasting live from the tallest building in Western Europe. Of course, I'm talking about the Shard. And he'll be broadcasting live from 7 to mark the inauguration of the Shard. There's a laser, a laser show later on today, uh, which will be a, sh- uh, a symbolic handing over of the building to London's skyline. Uh, Nick will be talking to a Lord Prescott. There's a rare treat about the decision to go ahead with the skyscraper. Uh, also, Nick will be talking to former Mayor Ken Livingstone about what it will mean to Londoners and the man behind the project, property tycoon Irvine Seller. And also a full review of the day's newspapers. Nick Ferrari here at 7. I note with interest that his uh, newspaper reviewer, live at the Shard, is a Sky News presenter, Kay Burley. So really a, a case of beauty and the beast. Uh, we'll do the newspapers this morning. Front pages in a second. There's a great story in, in, the, um, in the mail today uh, about Jackie magazine. If you're a certain age, you will remember Jackie magazine. They found a copy from 1964 giving you uh, tips on how to get a date in 1964. If you were a single lady in uh, in the mid-60s and you were looking for a fella, uh, according to Jackie magazine and their top tips for the uh, dating game, well, it's all quite simple. According to Jackie, this particular uh, issue had Cliff Richard on the front and uh, the answer, the magazine, cheerily recommends if you want to get a date, you need to get a swish hairdo and a snazzy dress, ladies. Snazzy dress, that's the key. Slosh on lots of perfume and go where the boys are. 
See, some things never change, really. Uh, the remainder of the newspapers, I mean, it's uh, pretty much variations on a theme. You'll find a big picture on uh, most of the front pages, and I think it's great. I was mentioning this earlier. I think it's the, um, it really is the face of the royal family in the 21st century. I'm talking about William and Kate, but yesterday, uh, the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, was uh, sent to court in Wimbledon. Uh, watching the tennis, she was uh, cheering on Andy Murray. And there's some great pictures of her, kind of like watching the tennis, as we all do. And uh, some some pictures of her kind of like just wondering what's going to happen next and biting her nails. Well, not quite biting them, but certainly looking a little bit tense. And then some big smiles. Uh, great pictures dominating many of the front pages this morning. Uh, Telegraph this morning has a story that Sam was mentioning earlier about this French tax grab on holiday homes, because many Brits have a, a second home in France. And uh, the new socialist president, Hollande, is uh, going after such people by uh, whacking up the tax. That's a story on the front page of The Telegraph this morning. Uh, the Guardian uh, has this headline, Osborne accuses Labour over rate-fixing scandal. As the uh, saga continues, George Osborne ramped up hostilities with Labour over Britain's banking culture last night when he accused Ed Balls and other former ministers of being at the heart of the row over the manipulation of interest rates during the credit crisis. Uh, I really don't think this is the time to start scoring political points. You know, what we want is some kind of investigation to find out what the hell's going on. Put the politics to one side for a change. Uh, Daily Mail, I've told you about. Uh, the I newspaper, scientists prove existence of God particle. Momentous find after 45-year hunt for Higgs boson. That's the I's front page. Independent has pretty much the same headline. Uh, the Times leads with a headline, Diamond refuses to take blame for rate fix, the ongoing saga uh, regarding Bob Diamond. And uh, elsewhere, we've got the Express that talks about Britain facing a flood misery. Two months of rain predicted to fall in the next three days. And uh, nothing of massive interest on the front page of the Red Top tabloids. A star uh, talks about FIFA, who have rated England as the fourth best team. And uh, apparently fans are kicking off about it, if you pardon the pun. And the Mirror this morning, I think my favourite headline of uh, Thursday morning, a load of old Bollinger. It's champagne-swilling bank boss telling porkies, or is he incompetent? Is a question posed by the Mirror. And one of my favourite columnists is in the Mirror on a Thursday, which is Brian Reed, who's definitely worth a read. And uh, he's, he's, <laughs> he's, uh, he's questioning whether or not we get value... Uh, for money from uh, Prince Andrew because of course uh, figures were released recently uh, regarding how much he costs us uh, Brian Reed always worth a look in the uh, Daily Mirror those are the newspapers this morning at 6.22 we're talking cars and comedians uh, some of the great British comedians a lot of the newspapers this morning filled with the uh, various tributes to Eric Sykes uh, whose death was announced yesterday so we're talking comedians and classic cars versus modern cars. What do you drive and why? Particularly if it's a classic. Let's go to Rains Park and Ted. Ted, good morning. Good morning to you. What have you got, I, Ted? I have a 1949 Morris Minor Tourer, which is 63 years old. I've owned it for 38 years. I completely restored it. Does it still work? Oh, yes, yes. It's just past its MOT again. So when, not, not when do you use it, Ted? When do you take it out? Pardon? When do you take it out? When do I take it out? Yeah. All sorts of times. I go, I, it's been up to NEC Birmingham, it's done Lord Mayor's show, all sorts of classic shows. I did more when my wife was alive, but she died three years ago, and um, 
I'm not around so much now, but I still use it. And tell me, what's the what's the magic of a Morris Minor? Because a lot what's of people have been texted in. Yeah, they love the Morris Miners. What's the what's the essence of a Morris Minor? Well, it's so easy to maintain. You can get. Well, it goes along at over 60 mile an hour on the motorway, so it's no problem to anyone. Yeah. And, and people love the car. You know, it, being that it's that old and it hasn't rusted through, you can't say that for a lot of the modern stuff. I don't think it will be around in that time. I think you're probably right. One of the great things about the Morris Minor is it one of the, it's one of those truly iconic cars, isn't it? It's very British, a Morris Minor. Tartan rug on the parcel shelf at the back. Wicker hamster with a picnic inside. Lovely. Uh, Pip is in Lancashire. Pip, good morning. You're on LBC 97.3. Good morning. What have you, uh, comedians, who do you like? Well, I live near in Lytham St. Anne's, near Blackpool. Yeah. And um, Les Dawson, he came from Lytham St. Anne's. And Frank Carson, he was from Blackpool. Um, last year I was in hospital on the very, very low. And um, he gave me the strength to fight because he was in hospital with me and um, I was battling breast cancer and I was very very poorly and um, he used to come and sit on my bed and talk to me, sorry I'm feeling a bit weepy and um, he gave me the strength to fight because I'd lost the strength to fight and um, I'll never forget him and I'll never forget his words and the way he made me laugh as well and um, I'm now um, hopefully fully recovered, and um, I'm back in work. Oh, Pip, that's really good to hear. And it's one of these things, yeah. isn't it? You hear these stories about some of these comedians. I mean, I know a few people who have met Frank Carson, and there was they, they say there was no act there. You know, the bloke you saw lovely. on TV and, and on, on, on stage was the same yeah. as you'd see in real life, and I think that says a lot about yeah, him. Yeah, it was lovely. In fact, he gave me a signed card from because I told my son that he was, he was in when he came to see me. Hmm. And um, he, he signed um, one of his photographs of signature, and he put on it... Um, to David, best wishes, good luck, um, kiss, 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 and then underneath he put, hope you're not gay. Pip <laughs> <laughs> in Lancashire. Many thanks for your call. Uh, well, squeezing David in Stanwell. David, good morning. Listen, we only have a couple of minutes, so what do you have to say, my friend? Right, OK. Good morning, everybody. Um, Vintage Radio Comedy Society, I'm running that. We've got a meeting on the 30th of July at the Club for Acts and Actors, and we shall be uh, doing a tribute to uh, Eric Sykes. Um, Spike Milligan and uh, and Eric, of course, wrote uh, the scripts for the Goon Show. Um, Eric was in a show called Big Bad Mouse on stage with uh, Jimmy Edwards. They ad-libbed every night. It was fantastic. Um, he, he had a script writing uh, agency with um, Spike Milligan. They shared um, adjacent offices, I think. And Spike, um, um, yes, yes, uh, Eric Sykes. Uh, he had. Um, Oh my goodness! Yes, um, he he wrote a page of um, script uh, on on his uh, paper and gave it to his secretary, and she said there's nothing on it. And the poor thing didn't realise that his spiral had run out. Oh dear, <laughs> dear! Listen, a lot of people have been phoning in this morning and texting and saying that one of his greatest pieces of work was the plank. Oh yes, that was marvellous because it would go down in any language because there was there was no uh, there was no language in it. Um, you could hear it in any country. And, I mean, a lot of people have also been saying that we'll never see people like um, Eric Sykes again. And, you know, the conversation's gone along the lines that one of the surviving few of that kind of genre, if you like, in many ways, particularly in writing, is, uh, is Barry Cryer. 
Oh, Barry Cry, yes. Um, he's going to come and talk to us, I think, sometime. Um, there was an actress on uh, that I met yesterday at the uh, at the uh, church, at the Actors' Church, um, after a memorial service. She played uh, Roy's uh, mother in Coronation Street. She was in Waiting for God. I can't think of her name. Oh, I know the lady. She was in Tenko as well, wasn't yeah, she? Yeah, she played Dr. Mason in Tenko. Yeah, yeah. Marvellous actress. I can in... picture her, but I can't think of the name. No, I, suddenly the name went today, and I hope that she's going to come and talk to us too. Well, listen, David, good to have you on this morning, and thank you for uh, just providing a bit of knowledge and a bit of information about uh, Eric Sykes. Just a few texts to, to, to mop things up with about some of the suitable punishments regarding animal cruelty. I'll tell you what we do with them, says Babs in uh, Brighouse. Uh, we put them in a spin dryer and throw them onto the motorway. Well, that's a thought. And here's one from Neil on the way to New Cross. Duncan, good morning. These people who are cruel to animals, I believe, should be publicly flogged. Uh, listen, thanks for all of your calls, tweets, texts and emails over the last five and a half hours. Uh, I'm back uh, tomorrow morning from 1 here at LBC 97.3. Rain. Wind. 